1: You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. I'm
2: Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, December kicks off with some bright spots when it comes to the economy. How will they impact that cloudy financial forecast for next year? The race to get as much done before the holidays as possible is on here in the nation's capital. International diplomacy has stepped up on a number of fronts, but will Vladimir Putin bend to new overtures to end Russia's war in Ukraine and return U.S. prisoners? With continuing protests in Iran and new challenges when it comes to China, we'll talk to the Biden administration's top diplomat, Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Then, last week saw positive economic news on the jobs front, a surge in holiday shopping and a drop in gas prices.
1: The Americans are working, the economy is growing, wages are rising faster than inflation. But
2: there have been some big layoffs in media and the tech sector, and the Fed is likely to raise interest rates again later this month. We'll talk with Bank of America's CEO, Brian Moynihan. And as new House leaders prepare for the next Congress, we'll talk to Mike Turner, the presumptive Republican Intelligence Committee chair, and the new number three Democrat, California Congressman Pete Aguilar. Finally, that last Senate seat will be decided in a Tuesday runoff in Georgia. We'll tell you what's at stake, and we'll check in with the Obama administration's Attorney General, Eric Holder. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation, Good morning, and welcome to Face the Nation. We've got a lot to get to today, but we want to jump right in with our first guest, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who joins us from the State Department. Good morning to you, Mr. Secretary.
3: Margaret, good morning. Good to be with you.
2: Uh, I want to start with some breaking news overnight out of Iran. They have abolished the morality police. This is after months of protests following the death of Masa Amini, uh, who died because she was taken into custody since her head wasn't adequately covered. Does this stop the protests that have been raging?
3: That's up to the Iranian people. This is about them. Uh, it's not about us. And what we've seen since the killing of Masamini has been the extraordinary courage of Iranian young people, especially women, who've been leading these protests, standing up uh, for the right to be able to say what they want to say, wear what they want to wear. Uh, and so if the regime has now responded in some fashion to those protests, Uh, That could be a positive thing, but we have to see how it actually plays out in practice and what the Iranian people think. This is about them, and it's up to them.
2: We've also seen protests in China uh, because of these COVID lockdown policies. They seem to have died out in recent days. Is that because the police state stopped them, or have they actually had an effect?
3: Well, we've seen apparently some easing of the COVID restrictions in recent days, but very hard for us to uh, to speak to that. Uh, There again, we've been standing up for the basic principle that people should have the right to make their views known peacefully, uh, to protest, as the uh, case may be, to vent their frustrations.
2: Your deputy, Wendy Sherman, uh, gave a speech here in Washington on Friday where she said, I think war is potentially possible because Xi Jinping now has absolute control in China. You're about to go to China. Do you agree with that assessment?
3: So, Margaret, we're in an intense competition with China. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with competition itself, as long as it's basically fair uh, and on a level playing field. Uh, And we're working with countries around the world to uh, build convergence on the approach to China, which I've seen uh, get very strong in Europe, uh, in, in Asia. And the president has a strong determination to ensure that the competition does not veer into conflict. That's one of the reasons that he spent three hours with Xi Jinping in Indonesia on the margins of the G20. It's one of the reasons that he asked me to go to China early next year, making sure that we're talking, we're communicating, we're making clear what we're about, what our intents are, uh, what, uh, what we're doing. Um, that's vitally important. But
2: war the is potentially expect- possible, is what she said.
3: The determination that we have is to make sure that the competition does not veer into conflict. And this is also what the world expects of us. They expect us to responsibly manage the relationship with China. This is something that I hear from countries around the world. It's exactly what President Biden is doing, standing up strongly for our interests and values, working with other countries who are similarly situated Uh, to advance them, uh, making sure that we're keeping the contacts open, keeping the dialogue open.
2: I want to ask you about Russia. President Biden says he has no plans to speak with Vladimir Putin, but he would if there was an indication he wanted to end the war. Um, The president's top military advisor, Mark Milley, has said that during this cold period, combat will slow and there could be a window for diplomacy. You're the top diplomat. Do you think there's value in trying to start talks?
3: There's always value in diplomacy if the uh, parties in question, and in this case Russia, are actually interested in meaningful diplomacy. And what we've seen, at least uh, recently, is exactly the contrary. Even as President Zelensky, uh, from Ukraine, came to the, the G20 countries, the leading economies in the world, and put out a proposal for how to move forward toward peace, what did Vladimir Putin did? He doubled and tripled down on everything he was doing, uh, mobilizing more forces, annexing uh, territory mm-hmm. in Ukraine, uh, and now uh... trying to weaponize winter uh... he's been unable to win on the battlefield so he's taking he's basically turning his ire and his fire on ukrainian civilians going after the energy infrastructure trying to turn off the lights turn off the heat uh... turn off uh... the, the electricity um, that's what's going on so unless and until putin demonstrates that he's actually interested in meaningful diplomacy it's unlikely to go anywhere
2: the biden administration did put an offer on the table when it comes to a prisoner swap with russia that was back in july Two weeks ago, you said Russia has a failure to seriously negotiate. Has that changed? Is Russia serious now?
3: Uh, Margaret, as you know, we did put a significant proposal on the table uh, many months ago. And since then, we've been engaged repeatedly in uh, any way that we can to try to uh, advance it and uh, to look to see if there are different permutations uh, that could uh, achieve what we're trying to achieve, which is to get our people home. Uh, Brittany Griner, Paul Whelan. Um, we're uh, engaged in that on a, on a regular basis. Uh, and it's my determination that we bring our people home. We will not stop until we do.
2: But if these talks are now active and ongoing, as the White House said, that suggests you think there is some reason to believe they're serious now. You said they weren't serious well, a few weeks ago. Uh,
3: as they say, Margaret, the proof will be in the pudding. We have to see if... Uh, the engagements that we've had, the discussions that we have, produce an actual result. That's the most important thing. But we are not uh, uh, resting on, uh, on the laurels of having put forward a proposal some months ago. We've been uh, actively engaged over these many months uh, to try to move things forward.
2: The offer for our viewers was to release a convicted arms dealer uh, known as the merchant of death, Victor Boot. There are two Americans being held. You named them right there, Brittany Greiner and Paul Whelan. Brittany has been uh, in custody for less than a year. Whelan, a former Marine, has been in captivity since 2018. Russia wants a one-for-one swap. How do you decide which American gets left behind?
3: So I'm not going to get into the details of this. It would be counterproductive for me to get into the specifics of anything that we're saying or that the Russians are saying uh, and that we're hearing. My determination is one way or another, for, uh, as long as it takes to get people home. My efforts, the efforts of the entire administration, are to bring both Paul and Brittany home.
2: To bring them both home, but Russia wants a one-for-one swap.
3: Again, I'm not going to get into the into the details well, that's a, um, of where we are.
2: Russian media has been reporting. So in your well, view, is it <laughs> Russian all or media, nothing? Russian nothing? media
3: reports a lot every day that I wouldn't necessarily take at face value.
2: So that's not what the Russians have told you?
3: Uh, again, I'm not going to get into the details of it. Look, uh, the... Uh, the other side gets a vote in this. It's not just uh, what we want, it's what uh, they're prepared to do. uh, And this is something that we're working on almost every day.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And I know their families would love them home by Christmas, um, which is why I'm asking you. I want to also, before I let you go, ask about uh, Israel. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu is on trial for corruption, but he right now is trying to piece together an alliance to form a government. If he does, he'll become prime minister again. I know you know this. Um, But he's been allying himself with figures who have spewed anti-Arab, anti-gay, hate, as well as discrimination against non-Orthodox Jews. One of them wants to cancel gay pride parades. At least two have called for mass deportations of Palestinians, including the man who may head Israel's police force. Doesn't this makeup really jeopardize your intention to have peace in the region?
3: Margaret, um, we have worked and will continue to work with Israeli governments of uh, every kind just as Israeli governments have worked with American administrations of every kind. Um, and we're determined to do that going forward. Uh, our focus is less on personalities and more on policies. Uh, the important thing is what policies uh, does the government pursue? Uh, the Government, or the incoming government at least, uh, knows uh, our views on a number of these issues. but. Uh, we have an absolute uh, commitment to Israel's security. That's not going to change. Uh, and as we always have in the past, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll speak directly to each other. Uh, we'll be very clear about what we think and what we believe with our Israeli allies. I'm sure they'll do the same. And again, we'll focus on the policies, not the personalities.
2: But these, uh, this extreme right-wing government, as it has been described, being put together does complicate your relationship because then you also Again, have to let- spend time talking about not canceling gay pride parades, not deporting people, all these policies here. That's not what you want to focus on, which is a settling peace, a two-state solution, which is being rejected by many of these figures.
3: I think we can run and chew gum at the same time. So
2: you're not concerned about this?
3: Again, we're going to focus on what the government does. Uh, and as we have with every past Israeli government, and as Israelis have with every past U.S. administration, we'll work closely together.
2: Secretary Blinken, you're a busy man. Thank you for your time this morning.
3: Thanks, Margaret. Great to be with you.
2: And we turn now to Ohio Congressman Mike Turner, the top Republican on the House Intelligence Committee. Congressman Turner, good to have you here in person.
5: Thank you. Yes, it's great to be here.
2: So uh, just yesterday, the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, said that Russia was uh, perhaps struggling to keep up with the amount of munitions that it's using in this war in Ukraine. The cold weather is slowing combat. The secretary of state, though, didn't really give hope for diplomacy at this moment. Given what you know, when will this war end?
5: Well, the one thing that we know is that the um, the gains that Ukraine is making are, are real. Uh, they're, they're real in the battlefield. Uh, they're real in the support that they have around the world uh, with democracies on the floor of the United Nations in condemning uh, this aggression by Russia. Uh, but Ukraine really has to be the one that decides that if, when and how negotiations are entered into. And at this point... Um, you know, they're battling for their country. They're losing lives for democracy. President Zelensky says, and I was just in Ukraine uh, just before the elections, he says openly, you know, he understands that he's the front lines uh, for democracy and he's fighting an authoritarian regime. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, um, you know, Obviously, Russia has to reevaluate uh, how they look at at this conflict and how Putin looks at at what he has so started. Do you
2: agree with the administration on this?
5: I, I agree absolutely that that this is uh, this is something where well, you know this is a war of aggression that Russia needs to re- reevaluate and to withdraw from Ukraine.
2: You've said because you are poised to run the intelligence committee since you are the top Republican when Republicans take control uh, in January. Um, is this going to be an area where, as you promised, you can take politics out of it and actually work across the aisle? What does that mean?
5: Right. So you know, we've uh, when I went, we went on a bipartisan uh, trip to, to deliver to uh, President Zelensky a message that there's bipartisan support uh, for Ukraine. I think there's a number of issues uh, that we're going to be working on a bipartisan basis. What should the United States policy be? How do we make certain that they, I serve on the Armed Service Committee and the Intelligence mm-hmm. Committee? How do we make certain that they get the weapon systems uh, that they need? How do we hold together uh, this world alliance that, that we have, where the world is condemning what Russia is doing, and of course the expansion of NATO. We're looking forward to Sweden yeah. and Finland. Uh, joining NATO, which is the opposite of what Putin believed he was going to achieve in in attacking Ukraine. He now sees the expansion by two valuable partners with uh, great military capabilities Mm -hmm. joining NATO. Uh,
2: I want to show our viewers some pretty extraordinary video um, that the Pentagon uh, unveiled this week, a B-21 Raider. It's the first U.S. nuclear stealth bomber aircraft in more than 30 years. And it's being packaged as this deterrent to China. How concerned are you about the pace of Beijing's nuclear development?
5: Uh, Extremely. And I want to commend the uh, the administration because they've been very forward leading in releasing uh, and declassifying information about what China is doing. They are expanding uh, their nuclear weapons or nuclear weapons capabilities, their ICBMs that are targeting the United States. This plane is incredibly important. I served as chair of the Air and Land uh, Subcommittee as we on a classified basis began the process of working Uh, On this plane. And it gives us an additional balance because it's it's an additional delivery vehicle, additional way to combat. Uh, what China's doing. To drop but,
2: nuclear weapons.
5: <clears throat> to cause people not to drop <laughs> nuclear weapons. I mean, that's what's so... That's the, really,
2: It's really the right, deterrent.
5: It, right, right. It is to make certain that the balance of power is there so that people understand that it, that the it, that uh, the cost is just too great. When China is expanding their nuclear weapons, they're looking at the United States. If we blink, if we don't, uh, if we don't respond, then they assume that they can get first strike capabilities that not only holds us at bay, but really holds us at risk. Because then you have a leader of a nuclear power that might make that miscalculation and, of course, cost unfathomable lives.
2: You talked about um, being open about intelligence. Um, I'm wondering, in your new role, will you be asking the director of national intelligence for a briefing uh, and a damage assessment related to Mar-a-Lago and the documents the former president took to his private home?
5: that 's already in process I mean we've it already, already talked I, it, it, it has not, Congress, but it's largely, it 's been largely sketch. yes, and i 've just talked to the Director of National Intelligence about this particular issue. One issue that i 've discussed with the, the Director, which is very, very interesting, is is that you know prior to the Marlargo raid no one in the intelligence community or in the national security community was engaged at all by the FBI to request an assessment as to what the risk of the documents that had been surrendered from mar largo mm-hmm. or that might have been at mar largo or that were even perceived as being missing.
2: And you think the Justice this Department was, should have? This
5: was just the FBI and the um, and the archivist, which is basically a glorified librarian, um, <clears throat> coming together and deciding to, mm-hmm. to raid mar Now, But you're not downplaying
2: that taking classified material to your private a-
5: Absolutely home. not. they there were, the just, problem, there were other options the that the FBI had versus the escalation that, that they did. That certainly is going to be one of the questions we have. The, the director of national intelligence indicated they have conducted uh, their risk assessment and they are prepared to give um, both of our committees on the Senate and the House. Uh, a presentation as to what those are. Do you have a sense
2: of when or what the scale of the point, damage is? At this
5: point, it's just a scheduling issue. We just had a meeting uh, with the director, uh, both um, Senator Warner, myself, and mm-hmm. um, uh, Adam Schiff. And as they look to how do we get everybody scheduled together and those who've done the assessment, because again, yeah. it's not just the director that will be coming, right. they'll have to come forward to give us what did they see, what do they have, and how do they perceive uh, the threat uh, that may or may not have existed from some of these documents.
2: Um, this may seem a basic question, but all elected leaders uh, swear to uphold the Constitution. Does calling for its suspension, uh, is, is that disqualifying for a presidential candidate?
5: It's certainly not consistent. You know with I'm asking the, the question. i the I do. It's certainly not consistent with the oath that we all take.
2: So yesterday, uh, the frontrunner for the Republican nomination, the standard bearer for your party, posted on Truth Social, and we know he lost the 2020 election but continues to claim he did not, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Should the standard bearer for the Republican Party, the front runner for the nomination for the presidency for your party in 2024, say this?
5: Well, I, you know, I, I, I. I... First of all, I vehemently disagree with uh, with the statement that that Trump has made. Trump has made, you know, a thousand statements in which I, I disagree. Uh, there is a political process that has to go forward uh, before anybody is a— Constitutional conservatives before anybody, are pretty
2: clear about bef- where they value be, the Constitution. Right, exactly. But is bef- there any there scenario where suspending be, the Constitution? Listen,
5: I, you do get to pick the questions, but I do get to pick my answer. I know, I'm um, trying to get a you to answer question. the question I'm asking. There is a political process that has to go forward before anybody's a front runner or anybody is a um, even uh, the candidate uh, for the party. And Do you I condemn think him that, saying something believe, like this? Absolutely. And I believe, answering your question, uh, that people certainly are going to take into consideration a statement like this as they evaluate a candidate.
2: Mm-hmm. I also have to ask you about the other statement um, and the people that he has been spending time with. Um a neo-Nazi pro-Putin misogynist named Nick Fuentes came to have dinner with the former president at his home alongside Kanye West, who just this past week praised Hitler.
5: This is atrocious. I mean, this is true. Everybody, I think, everyone it both condemns and is shocked and is as, as disgusted and nauseated by the fact that we're even in this year, you know, in 2022, having anyone that would make statements uh, like that, nevertheless, have anybody who would engage in a conversation with someone who's having, st- making statements like that? So having Absolutely.
2: classified documents at the same place where they're having the dinner, which were not well, that's, that's necessarily not. securely held, and they're government records that should be in government property. All those things together, the problem.
5: Well, as you know, the FBI raided his home. There are not classified documents there. But all of these are issues of judgment. The premise of saying he
2: doesn't know who he's having dinner with at that home.
5: These are all issues of judgment. And a political process has to go forward. And I believe voters are smart and they'll take those things into consideration in a political process.
2: Congressman, thank you for coming on and and answering questions. We'll be back in just one minute. So stay with us.
6: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible ...by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
4: Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next, because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. Midterm voting will finally, fingers crossed, be over
2: after Tuesday's Senate runoff in Georgia between incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker. Democrats will control the Senate. But that 51st seat, if Warnock wins, will give them more power when it comes to building committees. And it means potentially fewer headaches for Democratic leaders over those single senator holdouts we saw frequently in the last two years. CBS News congressional correspondent Nicole Killian reports from Atlanta.
1: Good dogs, good dogs. On this SEC college football championship weekend, legendary Georgia running back Herschel Walker is hoping to follow the Bulldogs win over LSU with a victory of his own Tuesday. We got these weak leaders in Washington and I said enough is
7: enough. Now what we got to do is we got to get out and
1: vote. Georgia won the SEC championship by 20 points. There's no way Tuesday's Senate election margin will be anywhere near that. Neither candidate made the required 50 percent threshold on November 8th, forcing the race into overtime. Since then, the state's been bombarded with campaign ads and out-of-town visitors.
6: Starting for the state of Georgia, Herschel Walker.
1: The current president and his predecessor stayed away during the runoff, but one president who did return to Georgia, Barack Obama. Mr. Walker has been talking about issues. That are of great importance to the people of Georgia. Like whether it's better to be a vampire or a werewolf. This is a debate that I must confess I once had myself. (laughs) When I was seven. Here's what the former president was talking about. Vampires are some cool people, are they not? But I'm going to tell you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire, did you know that? I never knew that, so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I want to be a werewolf. The Republican challenger has repeatedly struggled to combat controversial headlines, ranging from allegations of domestic abuse to revelations of tax records indicating his primary home is in Texas, not Georgia. Democrats say the controversies cut to Walker's character. What we're seeing is a disturbing pattern from Herschel Walker. And um, all of these women can't be lying. Voters here in Georgia had about a week of early voting. That's now ended. More than 1.8 million ballots have been cast. That's about a quarter of active voters. And in just two days, we'll find out who wins. Margaret? Nicole, thank you. And
2: this programming note there will be a special Georgia runoff edition of Red and Blue on our CBS streaming network starting at 9 p.m. Tuesday. We're joined now by California Congressman Pete Aguilar, the new number three Democrat in the House. Good to have you here. You are the highest ranking Latino in congressional history. That is historic in this new job. Um, it's generational shift for Democrats in January. But as you go into the minority, you also have less experienced leadership. What does that mean? Because this is going to be a knife fight over the next two years with Republicans.
7: Well, first of all, just how far we've come. And it's not lost on me this significance of, of being in this chair at this moment with Hakeem Jeffries and Catherine Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also gonna be benefiting from the leadership of Jim Clyburn at the, at the leadership table. And and, and, okay. and Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer will be members of Congress. So we're gonna continue to do what's right for the American public. Uh, that's, that's our number one message. We're
2: gonna talk substance in a moment. We'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation. Stay with us. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We want to continue our conversation with California Congressman Pete Aguilar. Um, I had to cut you off and I apologize for that. I want to pick up where we left off. Um, you are now finishing up this lame duck session before you move into this leadership role. Um, we are seeing the focus really just being on keeping the government funded as part of that. Will you be able to put in the hundreds of millions of dollars that so many mayors are asking for to shore up border security in the next few weeks? You're from California. I saw a number of California mayors wrote this letter this past week.
7: I'm not familiar with the letter. I'm a member of the Homeland Security Appropriations Committee, though. I can tell you these are conversations that we continue to have with our Republican colleagues each and every year as part of the regular order of the appropriations process. The number one goal is to fund government. And we're going to have to rely on reasonable Republicans to help us do that because so much is at stake. Just in your segment earlier, uh, Mike Turner talked about the Ukraine funding. And I appreciate his willingness uh, to meet us and to talk about the importance of Ukraine funding. Mm -hmm. But there are so many Republicans who are tied to this MAGA extremism who are talking about putting conditions on Ukrainian aid. We can't have that. That's the reason why we have to have reasonable budgets, and an important point of why we have to have this time right now. We need to have government funding, and we look forward to working with Republicans to get that done.
2: The specific request was for $500 million for FEMA and $300 million for humanitarian assistance because of this concern about Title 42 lifting at the end of this month. We if, need to you do, don't know if that's going we to We
7: need to end. do everything we can to make sure that our border communities are taken care of. Uh, We had to do that previously, um, and we appreciate the administration and Homeland Security doing everything that they can to give humanitarian aids and grants uh, to those communities to make sure that they could deal with with those effects. Uh, It's important for us. Uh, there are so many ways that we can be helpful. And on the heels of the Trump administration separating children from parents, uh, we appreciate the Biden administration coming in and being so thoughtful about how they do this. But it's going to mm-hmm. it's going to be a process. And we look forward to working with our local government and state allies to do it.
2: So also in the lame duck, you are continuing to serve on this January 6th committee, which is coming to an end at the end of the month. Um Your colleague Zoe Lofgren was on this program a few weeks ago, and she said all the evidence for good or ill will be out within the month. When? How? When will we know uh, when you've come to a conclusion?
7: Well, I'm not going to get in front of uh, Zoe Lofgren uh, if she wants to, to tell you that. But I can tell you that uh, Chairman Benny Thompson, Vice Chair Liz Cheney, we're all committed to the transparency of this process, to putting out a fulsome report that talks about the facts and circumstances about what happened on January 6. And Zoe Lofgren also ta- has talked about, and Adam Kinzinger has talked about, there are important things that we have learned along the way within January 6 that we feel should be shared to the American public. And so we're going to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to do it in a thoughtful way members are working each and every day editing and looking at the documents uh, that we will be putting out in accordance with House rules uh, we are preserving uh, the important documents and we're going to be transparent about this process the American public will see a full report
2: okay uh, will the Justice Department get all the underlying documents Merrick Garland said at a press release at a press conference earlier in the week that They'd like to get a hold of your evidence.
7: We look forward to the Department of Justice and the American public seeing uh, all of the work that we have done. And that includes transcripts and, and documents. Uh, right. th- there are uh, soon, very soon, uh, Margaret, and I think in the next you know, couple weeks. Um, but clearly our, our committee ends on January 2nd. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to do this uh, this month uh, and put this information out.
2: Do you personally believe that at this point there is enough evidence to send a criminal referral to the Justice Department regarding the former president?
7: I'm not going to get ahead of what our report uh, may or may not say. Uh, and I know you're asking personally. Yeah. Cheney have said that. Yeah, you're I, not, sorry. I think I think the, the evidence is is pretty clear. Uh, I think we laid out a case to the American public uh, who is responsible, who is primarily responsible. Uh, for whipping up that crowd sending them to the capitol and people's lives being endangered mm-hmm. and capitol police officers losing their lives i think it's pretty clear based on the evidence based on the hearings that we've done who was responsible but right now we're to the point um, uh, we have a couple weeks remaining here and we're going to have more to say the committee's mm-hmm. going to have more to say on this uh, through our documents and through our public releases so i don't want to get ahead of that
2: uh, the Possibly incoming Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has vowed to hold hearings about why the Capitol complex wasn't secure on January 6th. And he has faulted your committee for not focusing enough on this. How do you respond to that question of why there isn't more of a focus on security breakdowns?
7: If and when that individual becomes the possible speaker and can count the votes to get there, uh, I have my I have my doubts. Uh, look, we stand willing for anybody Um, to stand the test of time and to look at the history of the documents of what we've put forward. Uh, But we are talking about uh, security. We are talking about what happened that day. I think that what's happening is Kevin McCarthy has to do anything he can to appease the MAGA extremists within his party. He's trying to count to 218. If that means sending subpoenas to the committee members, if that means being tough to committee members, that's what he has to do right now, because he's practically auctioning off real estate in the Capitol in order to secure the votes.
2: Well, he um, is also one of the people that your committee has asked to come speak and share information. And has, he has refused to do so. Jim Jordan also potentially in a leadership role has refused to do so. What consequences do you think there should be? Should there be criminal referrals? I don't even know if you can do that. Can you?
7: No, that's not our, that's not our intent. Um, what we wanted to lay out to the American public is that those individuals, Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy, are fact witnesses to the events that happened. They talked to the president multiple times on that day. Uh, there's information that they can share. There's information that they shared uh, on national TV and to their own colleagues uh, in that moment. The fact that they don't want to share it to us so we can put together a fulsome report just shows that they aren't unbiased. And so that's why uh, there's a little smirk um, when you ask, me about Kevin McCarthy on January 6th because he's someone who hasn't been completely honest about uh, what he knows and what happened that day.
2: Congressman, congratulations on the historic achievement. I know you said it means a lot for your family and for people back home. Um, And I do want to acknowledge being the first is a big deal.
7: Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Margaret.
2: Um, Thank you very much for joining us. We turn now to former Attorney General Eric Holder. He now heads up the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, and he has a book, Our Unfinished March, which examines the current state of America's democracy. Welcome back to the program.
9: It's good to see you, Margaret.
2: I I have a number of things I want to get to with you, but um, I want to start on something I know is immediate this week. Um, An organization that you run that we mentioned here that focuses on redistricting is involved in a Supreme Court case, um, Moore versus Harper. It's going to be heard on the 7th of this week. And it boils down, as I understand it, to the question of what the Constitution means when it assigns state legislatures the task of regulating elections. That sounds really wonky. But you phrased it as the future of democracy being at stake. What are you worried is actually going to happen here?
9: Yeah, this case is all about something called the independent state legislature doctrine. It's a, it's a fringe theory that North Carolina Republicans are trying to use to make sure that the North Carolina Republican legislature has the sole responsibility of doing redistricting in the state and excluding from that determination uh, the state court system. It is something that, if the Supreme Court goes along with it, would really upend our system of checks and balances. And it, for that reason, that I am extremely concerned. It is a fringe theory. This is something that, if the court, I think, does the right thing, you should have a nine to zero uh, opinion by the court that rejects this notion of this independent state legislature doctrine that has been rejected by conservative scholars, uh, by practicing Republican lawyers, by former Republican judges, and by this uh, a conference of uh, state Supreme Court justices um, as well. This is a very, very dangerous theory that would put our system of checks and balances um, at risk.
2: So... Uh, There are a number of Democratic senators who actually filed a brief urging the Supreme Court not even to hear the case. Um, So there are some heavy hitters here saying don't even talk about it. Um, What does that tell you about the potential harm here? I mean, is there value in the Supreme Court hearing this and striking it down or does them hearing it at all indicate something more to you?
9: Yeah, it's hard for me to see how this case was ever taken by the court. It, I think the better thing would have been for the court to simply have rejected it. But now, having taken the case, uh, I would hope that the court would drive a stake through this notion of this independent state legislature doctrine uh, and, and get it off the, off the books and out of our consideration um, once and for all. It truly is, I cannot emphasize this enough, it truly is a fringe theory that should result in a nine to zero uh, mm-hmm. rejection of the, of the theory.
2: So we mentioned you're working on redistricting. Democrats are suing to overturn congressional maps in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Ohio and Texas. I read a quote from you in The Washington Post that said the work you've been doing on redistricting has paid off in the most recent midterms. Um, Do you think that your legal battles will help Democrats make gains in 2024? What are you trying to say there?
9: Yeah, I think that what we have seen, uh, there have been studies that said that we have had the most fair uh, redistricting process in the last 40 years as a result of the work that we've done. Seventy-five percent of the redistricting is considered to be fair, which also means that 25 percent of it is unfair, and that is still problematic. Uh, I think, for instance, the House of Representatives is going to be in play for the entirety of this decade, very contrary to where it was in the past decade, where after the successful Republican gerrymandering that occurred in 2011 and in 2012, Mm -hmm. uh, it was really difficult for Democrats to uh, take the House back. I think Democrats will be able to take the House back as early as 2024, but it doesn't ensure what we have done doesn't ensure that Democrats are going to hold on to the House uh, for the entirety of the decade. It will be for the American people to decide. Fairness will reign in that determination.
2: Um, When you were last on this program in May, um, you shared at the time that you had changed your mind recently, that you did believe that the Justice Department and Attorney General Merrick Garland um, should hold former President Trump accountable for his actions. You you previously thought it would be too divisive for the country. Now where we are with this special counsel, what is your assessment? And how should Merrick Garland, who has to ultimately decide— weigh the question of a risk to political violence in this country from any decision he makes regarding the former president?
9: Well, I think the attorney general has said it quite well, that he'll make the determination without fear or favor. Um, There is, uh, everybody has to be held accountable to the same system. Uh, The determination that he's going to have to make will have to be based on the facts and the law, and we'll just have to deal with the consequences. The reality is that if he makes a determination one way or the other, it is going to be divisive. And so the best thing simply is to make sure that everybody who is under consideration um, for possible criminal treatment, including the former president, is treated just like every other American. And that's what that opinion out of the, the circuit court this week essentially said, that you can't craft things as that district court judge, you can't craft things for a former a president that don't exist for um, regular American citizens. Treat everybody in in the same way, make the determination based on the facts and the law. And uh, the United States, I think, has the capacity to absorb a possible indictment and to deal with it fairly and to get on with the business of of the country.
2: Uh, As someone who's been an attorney general, I wonder as well how you think about the case before the U.S. District Attorney in Delaware regarding President Biden's son Hunter. CBS has reported the FBI has sufficient evidence to charge him with tax and gun related crimes. Um, how would you handle this? A plea deal? Is the attorney general boxed in to take a hardline position because of working for the president?
9: No, I mean, you have, they left in place the um, Republican, the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware to consider the case. You've got career lawyers working on it, career FBI agents. Uh, You want to listen to their recommendations, and then again make a determination based on the facts and the law. The defendant should not be treated any more harshly because of who he is, who he is related to, should not be given breaks because of who he is or who he is related to. He should be treated as former President Trump, should be treated just like any other American citizen. If there is culpability, that person should be held um, liable for his or her acts. And if there is not a basis for a case, a case um, should not be brought.
2: But it will ultimately come to the attorney general's desk.
9: Uh, that's certainly the way I would have run the Justice Department and my guess is also that that would be something that Mary Garland will be doing as well. That determination will be made, uh, I suspect, in Washington, D.C.
2: All right. Um, General Holder, thank you very much for your time today. And we'll be right back with much more Face the Nation.
4: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
2: We turn now to the economy and the mixed signals about its future. Brian Moynihan is the CEO and chairman of the board of Bank of America. And it's good to see you back here in person.
8: It's good to be back here. It's been a couple of years. Last time was right when the pandemic started. I know.
2: <laughs> I know. And I remember uh, what a chilling moment that was. And yet we are still living through the implications of that pandemic. Um, your firm is predicting recession in 2023, but a brief and a mild one. I wonder when it hits and what a mild recession feels like for the average American.
8: Well, just to sort of be concrete on numbers, they basically picked a negative growth around one percent or so for the next for the first three quarters of '23, and then it comes back to positive growth. That means the year is negative overall, but but it's just one percent. So you think about the recession when we were sitting here, we went down thirty percent that next right. quarter and stuff. So this is a more mild recession, largely because. The underlying activity is still strong, and that's the tension in the Fed trying to cool down inflation while at the same time not uh, drive the economy into a deep recession. Mm-hmm.
2: But when people hear recession, it, it affects their planning for the future. It affects their feeling of uh, security in the jobs they have. I mean, just this past week, we saw a, a string of job cuts being announced um, at tech companies, uh, at media companies. Is this the beginning of a wave?
8: This is, this is what happens, and when you, when you raise interest rates, you know, the Fed is trying to slow down economic activity, and where does it slow down first? the most rate sensitive houses housing tipped over you know cars, uh, prices go up, although sales have stayed strong on new cars because they weren't there, and they just have become available, but used car prices have tipped back down, so they're the most rate sensitive are affected by it. What takes longer to happen is the final demand for entertainment, for hotels, for travel is still very strong. And so if you look at spending in our customers. For the month of November, it was about 5% over last year. If you go back and think earlier in the year, it was running 10%, 12%. So what's happening is consumers are slowing down their spending. They still have money in their accounts. It's starting to come down a little bit. They still have borrowing capacity, but they've started to use it. So all that means that the Fed rate hikes are slowing down the economy. The question is, when will inflation tip down, and then they can back off. And that's the tension. We're in. So we've gone from was, temporary, temp- was inflation temporary, which is last mm-hmm. year's discussion, to it's real. Now the question is, how long will they have to hold rates here? How long would it have to hold rates at this level to keep the economy to get inflation down without hopefully hurting the economy, and that's the debate we're going through right now. But you're seeing the signs in terms of job openings declining a little bit. You're seeing the signs of turnover slowing down in companies, and while those may not be good signs for the individual involved, it's actually good signs for the economy in terms of it starting to get into a better situation that it can grow a more normalized rate. Mm-hmm.
2: You um, you're fairly characterizing all the different pieces here, but. You do sound more optimistic than many of of your peers, even those who are predicting a recession, like JP Morgan. They famously, their strategist said a category one economic hurricane is on the horizon. Um, What would move you from mild to (laughs) gale force winds? I mean, how how do we, what what changes things along the way?
8: Well, the belief was when the Fed start raising rates that there'd be an immediate snap to the economy. the thing that didn't happen those predictions were from the you know spring of this year in 22 what didn't happen because the consumers remained strong and the, cons- the amount of stimulus that got in the economy was so high it didn't happen the way people thought unemployment is still 3.7 right they just had two hundred thousand jobs so how could you have an, an unemploymentless recession that's almost hard to posture right so that all the math and science that people looked at for years has kind of gotten thrown astray because a massive stimulus went in so if you looked where All the guests you had on this morning talked about parades of horribles, the Russia-Ukraine situation, (laughs) what's going on in China. Those things all would change the basic outlook. But if they just stay, right now it's kind of play, they stay sort of status quo ante. It doesn't solve, but it doesn't get worse. Right. Oil prices stay around $100 a barrel, more or less. They were there for five years between 2010 and 2015. So now that kills the economy's own. But all those things going in a very wrong direction, you'd see a massive change in the economic activity, mm-hmm. and that's what that's what people are trying try to hamstring in the base projections most people have. The Wall Street firms and stuff—it's all pretty similar. A shallow recession, recovery later. Rates stay a lot, lot higher than people think for a longer period of time, meaning all the way into the end of twenty-four, mm-hmm. because inflation's harder to choke off because there's such underlying cash in the system. And right. that, that's what has ever dealt with. Now, where does that cash come from? The government gave out right. a lot of stimulus. The problem is the government's running high deficits. And that's why when you talk earlier about debt ceilings, those are important things to not have create problems in the economy. And I think all business, people, for, for yeah, all, all business people- That's one of
2: your worries for 2023.
8: All business people don't like surprises. And we'd like to make sure that we got through- a normal budget process and a normal debt ceiling process. But
2: you're not confident about that.
8: Well, I've been CEO for 13 years now, and I've had some interesting times on this, but generally it works out, and I have confidence that people come to the table. There'll be a lot of discussion, and you talked about with some of your guests, but ultimately it has to get there because ultimately we have to run this great country because it's got 300 million people that the world depends on.
2: So the economy and the market, not the same thing, but the... Political, you know, the adage was that political gridlock is good for the markets. That's the way it used to be. I wonder if the environment's different now. Your um, strategists also said they're bearish. They worry unemployment in 2023 will be as shocking to Main Street cons- consumer sentiment as inflation was in 2022. So how do you recommend to clients they protect themselves if we're going to see the markets possibly take a downturn?
8: Well, that's so Unemployment. Our team would predict it gets up back up to five percent. That's a say percent and a half from where we are now. That is one hundred fifty odd million workers. So that is, but that's where it was. You know. 2 years before yeah 1718 so 1716 so it, we didn't feel horrible then the question is it's just a change where people lose their jobs and that's a horrible thing to contemplate and that's what they're worried about the compounding effect of the worry about having a job versus actually losing your job changes consumer behavior and you're seeing that go on a little bit right now and that's the fed has to create that sort of nervousness to help tip the inflation back down. Wage growth is strong, which is a good thing, but also strong means they have to slow it down to match the otherwise we're going to have a wage inflation spiral. So all that all that comes together. So as you think about it, think about next year is really important to see the mitigating impact of these things. The Mm -hmm. uh, the employment market gets less tight, is, is already less tight, continues to get less tight. Therefore, wage growth slows down. Therefore, inflation will slow down. If that doesn't happen, then the Fed's going to have to go a lot higher. There's economists that think they should. But if they get it there, they can hold it there and let the system catch up, too.
2: Why are um, savings yields so much lower than where uh, the inflation rate is? Why aren't people making more money in their savings? There's
8: again? a lag effect to the change in rates and prices and, and everything. And so what they'll do is they keep coming up. And each month you'll see them come up as people pay higher rates to retain the funds. Um, the big difference between... The last time we went through a rate tightening cycle, now is the amount of cash in the system is so high that uh, companies have a lot of li- banks have a lot of liquidity. They're well capitalized. They're very strong, and it, that's even going back to our discussion March 20. The difference is the banks are very strong. They helped mm-hmm. the clients through it. They didn't cause any problems. They're very strong. So what's going to happen is they're going to be more conservative to recover the 15 years of low rate environment where they underearn. Right. They're co- recovering, but ultimately they'll come to the, come to reach more equilibrium.
2: Brian Moynihan, thank you for your time today. We'll have more on the economy and the forecast for 2023 next week with Jamie Dimon, the chairman and CEO of JPMorgan Chase. If you can't watch the full face of the nation, you can set your DVR. Plus, you can watch through our CBS or Paramount Plus app. Thank you all for watching. We'll be right here next Sunday. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Ohio Republican Congressman Mike Turner, California Democratic Congressman Pete Aguilar, former Attorney General Eric Holder, and Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music.